I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. Man, you may be seated. You know, I, I think of, I've got family members and my dad this morning when I was getting ready, I looked in the corner of my walk-in closet and wrapped up nicely. I've got the little flag, or not little flag, but the flag that was folded and handed to me at my father's funeral. And that's a very prized possession for me because I know that, that he served and there's many others. And, and when those things happen, there's a, there's a sacrifice that took place. That we enjoy the freedoms we have today because of the sacrifice of so many others that have allowed us to walk in this and to go before and to enjoy the freedoms. We're allowed to gather today and openly worship in His name because of the sacrifice of others. There are many places in the world that if we were to be doing this, we'd have to be doing it in secret and we'd have to be, um, we'd have to be quietly sneaking somewhere and, and meeting together. Just few of us have to be very careful and very quiet. We couldn't, we couldn't play our music that loud. We couldn't openly worship because somebody might overhear what we're doing. Bibles would have to be smuggled in. And I always think it's ironic that, that the Bibles that are smuggled in somewhere probably are more read than by those of us that have all kinds of access that we can pick up our phone and openly read the Word of God. You know, but there's a freedom that we have, and, and it's because of people's sacrifices. So a lot of you know I was, I was gone this last uh, Sunday, and, and everything I hear, read Elam did a great job of delivering the message, and it was timely, and it was on point, and and uh, several people that really spoke to their lives. And, but uh, we had gone to my nephew's wedding and got to celebrate that, got to Mount Olive, Alabama, got to catch up with aunts and uncles and people that I hadn't seen for a long time. And, and so we left on Thursday evening after Kim got off from work, and we drove to Vicksburg, Mississippi, spent the night there, and then finished the, the trip so, it would be, so we'd be rested up, not worn out, to hang out with the family, but then last Sunday, while you guys were here worshiping, we were making the 10-hour trek back home. Now, there's a lot that you do on 10 hours to pass the time, right? I mean, we were listening to different songs and different music. We were talking to one another. We were planning things out. We were just, you know, all the things that you do to pass the time. And there was, there was one point that uh, we were even kind of reminiscing back to when we were dating because this next week, this Thursday, will be our 33rd winning anniversary. And so we're just kind of talking about some of those things. And, and so we kind of went back and, and found on Spotify one of the albums of one of the bands that we used to really like to listen to when we were that age, it was, it was, you know, we first kind of got together, and it was, it was a um, Christian band, and I was listening to this song, 
And as the song was playing, Kim was sitting there beside me in the passenger seat, and she had her phone out, and she was uploading photos from the wedding to Facebook and doing some of that stuff. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this song, the, the line that I've heard a hundred times just jumped out at me, and it said this. It said, this cross upon my shoulder is making me bolder. I want to stand up and shout, let my people go. You ever had one of those moments that you're doing something and all of a sudden it just, it's like God just begins to download stuff. I'm driving. I can't write any of it down. And he just begins to unfold some things in my mind and my spirit. And that phrase, let my people go, just wouldn't leave me. And so I begin to think about that. And the question that came to my mind is simply this. What do you do when you can't stop a threat? Now, I'm not talking about the threat from the enemy. I'm talking about the threat that we are to the enemy. What do you do when you can't stop a threat? If you can't stop it, you try to contain it. You know, we're in the middle of football season. This is my favorite time of year. You may not be, but to me, that is the sport. I do not spend a lot of time parked in front of the TV. This time of the year, there are, there are hours that I carve out and say, okay, unless something arises, I will be watching this game. And you hear it over and over again that the opposing team has some threat, somebody that is putting up all kinds of numbers, somebody that can't be stopped, and they'll make the statement and say, we may not be able to stop them, but we're going to do our best to hem them in and to contain them. And as I begin to think about that, I begin to think about, isn't that exactly the way the enemy must feel about us as believers? He can't stop us. He can't take away our relationship with Christ. He can't keep us from, from doing certain things. And so the best he can hope for is to keep us contained, to keep us hemmed in, to keep us boxed in so that we don't realize our full potential. Then my mind began to think about this dog that lives down the street from us. Our neighborhood we, we live in, we... We periodically, when the weather's nice, one of the things we love to do is get our dog, Macy, and whenever she gets excited, when she sees the leash come out, and we take her for a walk, we begin to walk through the neighborhood, because it's just a, a nice neighborhood to walk through, and, and people use it pretty good, and we've, we've met a lot of people just by doing that deal. But there's one house that we walk by right close to the entrance into our neighborhood that has a big German shepherd in the backyard. I mean Big. I mean, and, and his bark sounds vicious. But it is almost the funniest sight when you walk by because beside the house on the part that faces the road, they have a chain link fence, and it's not a tall chain link fence. It is a short chain link fence. And so we walk by this dog that is barking at our dog, and there's this interaction that happens every time. It's so huge, it literally raises up, puts its front paws up on the fence, and begins to bark. And it's jumping up and down with its back legs, and its back legs are at times getting up as high as the fence. But for some reason, it's convinced in its mind it can't get out. And it's a funny sight. 
But still to this day, every time I walk by, I thought, boy, if that dog ever realizes it can get out, we're in trouble. We're going to have a dog fight on our hand. Then what are we going to do? But that dog has never realized. I, I, I just assume that the dog has been there so long that it's become accustomed to being contained and it just can't comprehend in his little doggy mind that it can get out. And I begin to think about that. How many times maybe does that represent us as Christians? That somehow we, 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 we're living this life. God's got his hand on us on our life. We're born again, blood-bought, children of the living God. That we have authority. We can take dominion over things. God has blessed us with things. We're full of his spirit. And there's all those things. And I wonder how many times spiritually, if we were able to look at ourselves through our spiritual eyes, would we be looking like a great Dane with his paws on the front of a three-foot fence. And we're hemmed in, and we see no hope and no way out, and all it would take would be just a little effort on our part, and we could be break containment. But the enemy has us contained. To me, that's such a thought that we need to think through, such a thing that we need to walk through and understand our minds because we face a very, very real enemy. He knows that we are a child of the king. He knows he can't defeat us outright. He knows that there is nothing that can remove us from his hand. But at the same time, if he can't beat us, if he can keep us contained, if he can keep us cowered down, if he can keep us thinking we're less than we are, then how in the world would we ever break out? His only hope, says he can't defeat us, is to contain us. Even to the point of getting us convinced that we are defeated by a barrier that in reality is really only an obstacle we could go right over. And we live our lives bound by that. So I thought about that. The one thing I want you to get clear in your mind this morning is that we can break the spirit of containment by remembering who we are in Christ. You can break the spirit of containment if you remember who we are in Christ. That's a statement that I want you to hold on to. Looking at Exodus 8.1 was a scripture that came to mind, and it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Let's think about the history of that for just a moment. The pharaohs of Egypt had kept the Israelite contained in bondage for generations. Literally for 439 years, they were in slavery. We're talking generations that had gone through, that they, they were born, and that's all they knew was being in that bondage. That's all they knew were being hemmed in and contained. That's all they understood. They couldn't even dream or comprehend the idea of being able to be set free. They had a spirit that was broken. They were just resolved to the idea that this is what life is and there's nothing more. Then God began to work a plan. One man, Moses, broke the odds. Now, if you spent 
any time growing up around Bible stories, you're probably as familiar with this Bible story as, as I am. But, but I love this story because it's always kind of one of my favorites because of what took place. I mean, here's Moses was, was this boy that was born by blood. He was one of God's chosen people. But yet because of the oppression of the society that they were raised in, many of the, many of the children at that time, the males were being killed because they didn't want their population to continue to grow. They were trying to keep them under control. And so his mom, as you know, weaved a basket and kept him in the reeds in the middle of the Nile River. Now miracle number one was that it wasn't a crocodile snack at some point. Right? God was watching over this child. And and behold, one day come along and, and the Pharaoh's daughter is bathing in the Nile River and, and she her attendants there and they find this baby. And they pick him up and so she decides, I'm going to raise this baby. And God worked it out where Moses' own mother got to be the nursemaid that watched over the child. What a setup by God. And here's this guy. He's raised as, as a prince. He's, he's raised as, as one, of the, one of the main people. He's raised up in all the goodness that that, the, that lifestyle, that, that royalty would share, the best education, all of those things. But yet by blood, he is still part of God's chosen people. He is still, by blood, he was born a slave. Now, when we read the story and you see the day that, that Moses comes across one of his fellow people being beaten by an Egyptian, it would have been so easy for him to say, you know what, I'm not getting involved. I've got it good. I'm living in the palace. I'm just going to stay out of this and pretend I didn't see it. But there was something on the inside of him that wouldn't let it go. And so he gets in this confrontation with this Egyptian and the Egyptian ends up losing his life. And Moses apparently thought that he had kind of kept it hush-hush and behind scenes, but later on we find out soon it comes to light that there was an awareness out there of what had happened. Where a couple of people were arguing and he tried to break it up and they said, you know, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? Oops, the cat's out of the bag, so he flees. He goes to Midian. He has this encounter where he saves some women at, at a well, and, and these things take place. And so he, begins, he, he gets this connection, and, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, he has found himself connected to these people in Midian. He's a part of their life, and, and the father gives him his daughter, Zipporah, to be his wife, and all these things are taking place. It may not be what it was in Egypt, but he's got a life. And then one day he's out, and he comes across a bush that seems to be on fire, but yet it's not burning up, and he approaches it. I can't imagine what that must have felt like when he heard those words, take off your sandals because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. And God begins to speak to him. God gives him a call. And that's when he's told, go back. Approach Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And you can imagine. What's the first thing he said? I can't. 
I can't. How often has God spoken to us about something that could be a potential breakthrough that we just look at the situation and we say, I can't. But for others to break containment, Moses had to be the first. And here's what I want us to look at today. That same spirit of containment is alive and well in the church today. You see, we're all sitting here today. We're all part of this today. And yet the enemy has many of us convinced that this is what life is. That there's not much we can do beyond this. The enemy has us contained. He's got us living our life and kind of carving out our little niche of, of some, some kind of comfort and things that we can comfort. And God comes along and the Holy Spirit speaks something to us that would break not only ourselves free from containment, but could potentially break many others free. And we respond with the very same words, I can't. See, I believe that as children of the living God, we put up with way more restraints than we were ever intended to put up with. Too many of our fellow believers are are like this. And we see this and we remain contained and and we even reach a point that we kind of become comfortable with our containment. We kind of become comfortable with the circumstances of our life and the circumstances of our nation and the circumstances of our family members. And we just realize, well, we just say, well, this is what it is and it's all it's going to be. So I just better learn to live with it. But I'm telling you, God has so much more for you than that. See, he's looking to, to, to keep us contained. He's looking to keep us fighting among ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that we have anything going on, there's any fighting, but we know as a whole, as the church as a whole, he does this. I mean, he gets us more interested in arguing over fine points of doctrine than, than organizing and going out and reading the lost. We argue against the color of the carpet with more passion. And when, we, when somebody does hear from God and somebody does stand up and somebody speaks the words, I have heard from God, it is time for us to move, it is time to, to go out and declare, let my people go, and I guarantee you somebody rises up to do that and there are going to be a hundred other people tell them why that won't work, why you can't. And sadly to say, it happens in the church all the time. I'm not going to say who, and they're not here. But I received a text not too long ago. As I'm reading the text, these are the words. I'm just going to say it. You need to keep chasing the pipe dream because this is all the church is going to be. Me too. Me too. I just looked at that. Wow. You see, but we get trapped in that box. We begin, we be, just because, you know, look at every single person throughout biblical history. 
that God has spoke to and he has said, you're going to go and you're going to do this. He didn't, they didn't, none of them just stepped in and immediately did that. There was always ups and downs and battles fought and things they went through before the fulfillment came to be. See, we come weighed down with division and doubt and we can't break free. That's how the enemy contains us. But with unity and faith in Christ, barriers can be broken. Containment can be broken. So this morning, I want us to look at this story of Moses. And I've never really walked through it through the idea of what are the symptoms of the containment of the enemy. What do they look like? And a pattern unfolded for me that I've never noticed before. I mean, think about this. These people had been in bondage for 439 years. And it all started when one Pharaoh came in after the one that was connected with Joseph. And the Bible says that he didn't know Joseph or know what he had done. And what he did was he saw all of these Israelites that were living in their nation and said, you know what, there are so many of them. If they were to ever get united, if they were ever to get on board together, they could cause us some trouble. So he decided to put them in bondage. Now, I don't know how many there were at that 439 years ago, but I do know this. I want you to get this picture in your mind. When they left Egypt, Scripture tells us there were 600,000 men, not counting women and children. In other words, united, they couldn't be stopped. So the plan of the enemy was keep them contained, keep them under the thumb so they couldn't realize what they could be. So this morning I want us to look at four symptoms of containment. Number one, endless drudgery. Two, poop to passion. Exodus 13 and 14. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. and all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Anybody ever feel like you're caught up in the drudgery of life? Laboring to get by. Longing for the weekend to come. And then when it comes, it's gone before you know it, and it's time to start all over again. We all feel that. And then, you, then you're, you're expected to take carve out part of that little bit of respite you get to come to church. And, and some are more faithful than others, but, and we won't get into that this morning. But we're, they're there, and we're part of that. And we do those things, and, and so you're there. And then all of a sudden, the pastor stands up and declares that God expects more from you. And you look at him. How? How can I give more? 
How can I do more? How can I break out of this thing? This, this drudgery that my life is, is just like this cycle. I come and I get a little bit of a respite. I get charged up. I don't want to take on anything else. I just want my little bit of comfort. I want to be left alone. I'm going to sit behind my little three-foot fence. And I'm going to live my life. I hear you talking about a move of God. And pastor, we want you to be passionate, but we're just too pooped to be passionate. And I'm not saying that to, I'm just, I want you to understand that it is a tactic of the enemy to keep us contained. That life of what feels like endless drudgery. And what we're, I want you to understand that what we're facing is not so different than what the children of Israel faced. Now, obviously, we don't have anybody willing to beat our backs. But in many ways, it's kind of the same thing. The enemy wants to keep us living through this drudgery and it just starts over again the next week and somewhere along the line somebody has to look up and say there's got to be more there's got to be a better way there's got to be a way to break out of this containment and be who we were called to be so God sent a man a man named Moses Now think of this. He sent him to a people that couldn't even dream of the idea of being free. And maybe many of you here this morning, you're you're kind of in the same boat. You're like, I can't even dream. I can't even picture what my life would look like to break out of this and to be everything that God has. But you know, every single revival that has ever hit is because some people rose up and said there has to be a better way they sought God and when God spoke they were obedient and not only were they set free countless others were set free dare we to dream that we could break containment the second symptom I see is constant sorrows and really in my mind we have two choices we can concede to it or we can conquer it See, in their situation, all they knew was constant sorrows. All they knew were feelings of being forgotten by God. Miracles to them were a thing of the past. At best, they were, they were something for the past, but not today. At worst, they were myths that never actually happened. Boy, is that not where we're at today. It's exactly where we're at today. Well, God doesn't do that stuff anymore. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Or, well, those are just a bunch of myths. Exodus 3, 7. I love this. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmaker masters i know their sufferings he knows what you're facing he knows what you're going through 
And God spoke to Moses at the burning bush and he let him know that he was aware of their hurt. He was aware of their pain. He, he was aware that they thought that they had been forgotten. He was aware that they had been crying in their time of prayer. He knew their suffering. And he was about to give them the greatest miracle the world had ever seen. And it was so incredible that we're still talking about it today. What a miraculous way to be set free. And our enemy, he wants to keep us in such sorrow. He wants to keep us dwelling on the things. Have you ever had something in your life that has hit you, some kind of sorrow that has come along, something that weighs you down? And you may even have in your mind this call of God and this thing you're trying to press onto, and then that thing hits you, and then all of a sudden it consumes you. It's all you can think about, and you can't even muster yourself up enough hardly even to pray. I'm not just talking about you. Believe me, there are times that stuff hits our lives that we're just, God, I'm doing this because you called me to it and I'm not going to quit, but I sure don't feel it today. I feel it today, I just want you to know. (laughs) (laughs) But we all have those moments. And he was about to give them this deliverance. Our enemy wants to keep us in that state. And he wants us, he wants us to be so downtrodden and so overbearing, overbearing by these sorrows that we can't even lift our eyes up. We can't even lift our heads up to even see the possibility that maybe we could step out of this circumstance. Well, that's just the way it is. We'll change the way it is. Well, I just got to cope with it. Don't cope with it. Don't concede to it. Conquer it. Because we can either concede or we can conquer. We need to quit dwelling on our sorrows and start dwelling on his promises. We need to break the spirit of containment by remembering who we are in Christ. Trust me, it's not easy. And I'm not saying it's easy. It wasn't easy for them. But God did keep his promise to them, and he will keep his promise to you. Matter of fact, I want to read something. It's a text that was sent to me. I feel like now's the time to read this. Some of you that were, I don't remember which service it was in, but it was two weeks ago in the service. It was a message in tongues. And really felt like that it was a valid message in tongues and we waited and waited and I didn't have the interpretation. Nobody, it seemed, had the interpretation and we all sat there just waiting and finally we just moved on with the service. Then that afternoon I get a message and it said this, I may have disobeyed. I think I had the interpretation. It could have been God speaking to me specifically And then I read what it said, and I was like, nope. (laughs) That was for everybody. And it wasn't on the person. How many know that, how many ever had a situation where God uses you in something for the first time, and the whole time you're like going, is it God, is it me? And you're just weighing this out, and it takes guts to step out and to follow through with that. But I want you to read, I want you to hear this. This is what I heard. Trust me. When you cannot see the answer, trust me. When you cannot hear my voice, 
trust me. When you cannot feel me there, trust me. I am there. I promised I would never leave you or forsake you. So trust me. Trust my word. Trust me. Trust me. See, that's the biggest thing the enemy does is keep us contained. Next thing, the third thing, is sacrifices cease. See, the truth is freedom requires sacrifice. We're celebrating Veterans Day, and we're celebrating the fact that people sacrifice so that we can live in freedom. Freedom requires sacrifice. And when this life becomes a seemingly endless drudgery, when it seems like there's constant sorrows all around us, the idea of sacrifice is the first thing to go. Because we're, we're walking through these situations, we're walking through these circumstances, and we just, we always feel as this weight, and we're like, well, I'm just barely getting by myself. I'm in this drudgery. I'm facing sorrow after sorrow. How can I even think about sacrificing my time? How can I even think about sacrificing so that the kingdom financially, so that the kingdom can advance? How can I even think about those things? idea of sacrifice is the first thing to go because you can't bring your heart to the point one of the things that God told Moses 3.18 says this think of this Moses is standing there at the burning bush and God says this and they will listen to your voice And you and the elders of Israel should go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met us. And now, please let us go a a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. I want you to notice something here. That promise didn't take place right away. God spoke it to Moses at the burning bush. He goes back and he delivers the message. And at first that message was was met with skepticism. Because they couldn't see any way that could possibly happen. There was a whole lot that transpired before they began to listen to his voice. And we need to be careful because sometimes God may speak something to us and we try to rise up, we try to break out, we try to be what God's called us to be in a circumstance and all of a sudden there's these these doubting voices, there's all these things that we hear in these circumstances and we begin, and we can almost just quit. I've seen many times God do a work in somebody's life, they'll be set free from something, and they step out, and in the first counterattack of the enemy, they're right, they go right back into con- containment, confinement, depression. <coughs> it's going to be a battle. And sometimes you just got to keep on keeping on. Matter of fact, I want you to look at the resilience and continued defiance of the enemy against that the oppressor took to, to them being set free. Think about this, all right? Moses obviously had God behind him. There was the plague of blood, frogs, 
gnats, flies, livestock was killed, boils, hail that killed people, locusts, darkness. And after every single one of those plagues, Pharaoh would call Moses in and say, pray that this thing, that God will take this thing away, and then he would pray, and God would take that particular plague away, and then Pharaoh would turn around and say, but I'm still not letting you go. So why should we be surprised when we try to stand up and do something for God, and God sends a miracle that the enemy still says, I'm still not letting you out. Sometimes you just have to keep fighting and keep going and keep going because eventually there will be that breakthrough. Because the very next plague, it's almost like God was like, you know what? I've given you all these chances. Now I'm taking out the firstborn of everyone throughout the whole kingdom. Of course, that's where we get the Passover and the symbology of the sacrificed lamb and the blood being the lamb being put over the doorpost and those that were under the blood the death angel passed over see freedom requires sacrifice and it requires commitment but they were set free they knew the sacrifices of God because of the stories from their ancestors the, the sacrifices of Moses' mother begin the process. And, and we see these, these, these are the people that grew up. They had heard the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph and how that God had done all these things. And yet so more along the line, all this caused them to cower down. See, our enemy doesn't want us to continue the fight because if we break through others will break through so my closing symptom is this a crushed spirit the whole goal of the enemy is to get you to where you have a crushed spirit not willing to sacrifice you're not willing to do anything you don't see a way out and you're just crushed. You may still be saved, but you're crushed. So how do we inflate a flattened spirit? How do you reignite that? You can imagine what Moses fed. I talked about this early, but Exodus 6, 9 says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Now, wait a minute. God told Moses, you go and you speak to these people and they will listen to you. And then it says right here that he went and he talked to them and they didn't listen. It's because, guess what? Sometimes people are a little thick. Sometimes it takes a while for it to sink in and to break through. Sometimes it takes a while for there to be a little bit of faith begin to rise up and begin to see that there is a better way. It took a whole lot of miracles for them to finally get there, but they finally did. And 600 plus thousand of them were set free. I mean, think about that. 
God performed a miracle. He set them free. They left. I mean, not only did he set them free after the plague of the firstborn, but the people that were letting them go were giving them stuff. Here, get out of here. I mean, read the story. They left wealthy. Where do you think all the gold came from to build the golden cap? But that's another story for another time. They were free. They had broken out. This man, can you imagine watching 600,000 men with the women and the children? I and mean, we're talking, it had to be well over a million people. Some estimates are something like 2 million people or greater. That's quite a march. And they left. And they were following God's instructions. And he was leading them. They had won the victory. They were free until Pharaoh changed his mind. And I love this part of the story. Because they were following God's will. And God marched them into a corner. They weren't out of his will. They were marched into a corner. Strategically, the worst place you could be. Desert on one side, mountains on another, and the Red Sea behind you, and the enemy coming back saying, "Uh uh-uh, you ain't getting out of here. I'm taking you back into captivity. Just because you end up in a corner doesn't mean you're out of God's will. What seems like a death trap for you will become the trap for the enemy. I love what God says in that moment. Exodus 14, verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Wow. Backed in the corner. There they are. And Moses declares, okay, I know you guys want to run. I know some of you are thinking, I think I can make the desert. I think I can make the mountains. I think I can swim that. He says, no. Stand firm and watch what God's about to do. Now, I don't know about you. I've had this thought many times. I hope that there is 4K replay in heaven. Because there are certain miracles I just want to see. I want to see what it looked like when Moses stretched forth his rod and the waters began to part. And the ground dried. And there was a pathway that was opened up to the other side with a wall of water on each side. I want to see what, not not the Hollywood, I want to see the real thing. 
I want to see what it looked like when those people that were trapped began to walk across on dry ground. And when they got to the other side and the enemy was following them through and all of a sudden they watched this fulfillment of those enemies you see today, you will never see again. When all of a sudden God just turned the water loose. And that became a fulfillment. What am I trying to say this morning? God desires you to break containment of the enemy. But it requires effort. It requires sacrifice. It requires having faith to see things that maybe in our natural lives we can't even see or comprehend. But walking through And as I said, just because it seems like the enemy has you backed in a corner does not mean you're out of God's will. Sometimes it just means that it's the trap he set for the enemy. And if you just, I love what it says. Matter of fact, I'm going to look at it again. Fear not. Stand firm. See the miracle. Because the day will come when you will see that enemy no more. Let my people go I think it's high time that some of us as believers begin to stand up begin to bow out our chest and we declare let my people go let my son go let my daughter go let my marriage go let my finances go let my health go let my addiction go in the name of Jesus Because there's something happens when the children of God rise up and take that authority that we've been given. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And our prayer team to take their place. Because I have no doubt in my mind that there are some that are here and that's exactly where you feel you feel like the enemy's got you contained you feel like life is just this ongoing drudgery you feel like you're you're weighed down you feel crushed in the spirit you've you've can't even comprehend the idea of sacrificing something for the kingdom. God wants you to know that sometimes we have to stand up and we have to declare things that aren't as though they are. And to walk in that. If you're here today and cares of the world just have you you just it's the way you feel like how do I break this how do I get out of this I thought I'd be further along than I am now and the dream you gave me I can't even see it anymore but I'm telling you There's a way to break that containment. You may be backed in a corner, 
that just means you're that much closer to the miracle. You will trust. What an incredible, you know, I, I really almost think that the interpretation for that message in tongues is meant for today. Trust me. If you don't see it, trust me. I believe God's done this today. We're going to go into this song about the power of God. And I know everything in you, if you're in this situation, you're going to say, you know what? I, I, I just, I, I can't bring myself to go down and to be prayed for. I just, I just you know what? Break the containment. Because just that idea that I can't or, or what will somebody think or whatever it is that runs through our minds, just that thing. That's part of his containing control over your life. Break that. Step out. Let him set you free. Join with somebody else and let us pray together. Let my people go. They're going to do this song, and as they do that, if you feel that, if you feel confined, if you feel trapped and contained, I want you to step out and let us declare some new things, a new direction over your life. In the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, come as they say.
us hear it. When you speak, the church awakens. We believe a change is coming. Holy Spirit, let us see it. 